football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. Week seven in the book, Sam. Yeah, well, no, Monday Night Football. Yeah, thank Almost. you for correcting me. Still mm-hmm. Monday Night Football. Before we get into all the action, special shout out to our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. What an incredible deal this is. All first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. You get 365 days of access, just 20 bucks. It's $40 of value, and you get the opportunity to turn that 20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the country. It's Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20 with the promo code PFF today, and receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. The PFF NFL Podcast is also brought to you by pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids, on over 8,000 football items up for auction, signed helmets, balls, jerseys, and much more. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use the promo code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. All right, Sam, we're going to get through all the games, buddy. All right. You ready to do it? Yeah, let's go. Got some feedback from Mina. She likes when we just get right into it. She I hates know. your rugby stories. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm wearing the rugby jersey, so... Just don't tell any stories about them. Okay. That's it. All just right. for Mina. She mentioned it in the podcast and, you know, constructive feedback. I'll think about it. No rugby. Congrats to Leinster on their, their win. And Ireland. In Ireland. Mm-hmm. Good weekend for you. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to talk about it. No. Because people like when we get right into the action. Which you're delaying right That's now. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. All right. Thursday night football. Felt like a while ago. That happened? Oh, yeah. Daniel Jones uh, stumbles. Yeah. That was amazing. That was the Giants and the Eagles game, by the way. Also, by the way, how how absurd is that making that NGS uh, like miles per hour stat? Like Daniel Jones has now traveled faster than basically everybody other than Tyreek Hill in a straight line. In case you haven't noticed, with the NGS speed stuff, if you get fifty yards to run, you're right, going to be straight the fastest line. guy. It, it is essentially a product of did you have fifty yards in a straight line of open real estate yes. to run into? This guy had the and, fastest while well, he ran for fifty yards. And the funny thing is, they're like highlighting it as like a Daniel Jones thing. It's like, wow, look, Daniel Jones almost hit Tyreek Hill speeds. You're like, dude, why would you don't highlight that? That's showing two limitations. To NGS's credit, they also showed his deceleration. <laughs> And I saw that, you know, he peaked at 21, whatever. Yeah. And then it's like 15, 8, 3, did you 0. See, did you see, like, the mashup of all of the calls of that? So no, like the I TV saw the one, the radio one. saw the wind one. probability one. Yes, that was stumbled. funny. The the radio call from, like, either side. The one constant in that they had, like, four or five different calls. Telemundo or whatever it is. Every single one of them had laughing in it. 
like every single one of them, the natural reaction was for the color guy just to start laughing his balls off. I have to say, it was one of the best plays in NFL history. A historic play. One of the funniest. I mean. Yeah, it's yeah. a memorable play. They, they've, I mean, it didn't matter because they lost the game anyway. But imagine if they hadn't scored on that drive. I know. I know. So, um, ultimately, Carson Wentz on the other side was a roller coaster of emotions. Most of the game, people tweeting at me, Carson Wentz is terrible. He's terrible. But then he ends up making a ton of big-time throws, including the game winner to Boston Scott. Yes. Um, it was very reminiscent of a Thursday night throw that he made during his MVP caliber season. I think he gets the, uh, the football team um, where he zipped it in on a wheel route a little bit late in the down. Just a, a, a Wentz, Wentzy coaster type of game. It was very much the way Justin Herbert's playing, who we'll yeah. get to in a minute. Carson Wentz to me is when you watch him play, you should come away with a greater appreciation of how good Patrick Mahomes is. Because Carson Wentz tries to play like Patrick Mahomes, only without the ability to do it like all the time. The weird thing about Patrick Mahomes is that it almost always works. Like he does so much that's wrong in term, you know, in quote quote uh, quote marks wrong that most quarterbacks are like chastised, you know, criticized, lambasted for attempting. But with Mahomes, it always works. So you can you know you can't tell him not to do it. That's what makes him amazing. Um, and it it's almost always comes off. And then when other quarterbacks try it, sometimes it comes off. And when it does, it's great. But you kind of have to, if you're going to let them do it, you have to acknowledge that it's going to come with a world of downside and a bunch of like incredible boneheaded plays where you're like, what were you even thinking? And Wentz had one of those in that game where, you know, rolls all the way to his right and tries some ridiculous rainbow back all the way across the field to the left side and just like heaves up a prayer got away with it but like those are the throws that Mahomes doesn't really make which when you consider how often he's doing that is nuts Wentz also has you know, again going back to the MVP season they worked more often right. that year you can go on a run when he's got that. a lot of plays where he's like on his way down to the ground making throws I do want to say though just reading off his leading receivers from a yardage standpoint in this game tight end Richard Rodgers mm -hmm. with 85 Travis Fulgham, John Hightower, Boston Scott, Greg Ward, and then you get to Deshaun Jackson at number six, who, who did get injured. banged up again. Yeah. So again, for perspective's sake, Wentz, the Though, first three weeks of the season, was playing like Blaine Gabbert at yes. best. The last few weeks, he's playing much better, despite yeah. the back across the field, cross-body yeah, yeah. throws, and he's doing it with a questionable group of pass catchers. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely fixed if you like right he's not playing the way he was in the first few weeks that being said he's not going to go back to being that 2017 mvp caliber wentz for two reasons one because that relies on having an actual supporting cast that can help right an offensive line that can block and a bunch of receivers that can win and make plays those aren't there so he's not going to look like that two that season he was riding the wave of that unsustainably crazy good stuff right a whole run of those mahomes things were going in his favor and he was insane on like third and long and you know all the plays were built on the the sort of crazy things that that always regress back to the mean so inevitably he's not going to get back to that level but he's got back to a level where Wentz usually resides which is capable of some incredible throws playing pretty well and then you have to live through a couple of those insane decisions the other thing though is that it's probably worth acknowledging 
So on paper, those receivers are really bad. On the other hand, Travis Fulgham looks really good. Yeah, he does look good. So there is a balance between here's this name or no name in theory that is actually playing well. So you got to give Fulgham credit for sure. Um, Richard Rodgers, though, I might might not give credit. No, you can have that one. I'm just – (laughs) Fulgham is the only one I'm going to bat for at the moment. I just want to say on the other side of the ball, Daniel Jones, throw for throw and take the stumble out of it, did actually play a really good game. And he puts one right on Evan Ingram's hands. Yes. down the fields that should have ended the game um that said my man brandon graham closed it up with a game-winning strip sack only one though i thought he got in on two i'm ben we're stockwell stockwell i think graham should have been in on two sacks nope. i saw him in and around the quarterback on two sacks <laughs> there was one earlier that was not a hurry. So hang on, we're, we're week seven. What's he on now? Six sacks? Six? I think he's got six. I thought he only had five. I thought the second well, maybe one. Maybe I'm still counting that one in my I head. I think That's the why second I, one would have gotten him six. I don't know, Sam. I think he. I think I was ready to have seven through seven weeks here. No, I think you're still on six. Let me find out for you right now. Yeah, you look it up for me. Um, anyway, Daniel Jones should have had the game clinching pass that got dropped. And then... Six. He has six. Yep. Like I said. Um, so... He, Jones also had, again, the strip sack at the end where he just can't hold the ball that long. I mean, his blockers got whooped. Those are so frustrating. You can't hold the ball that long. Ball security in the pocket, once again, an issue for Daniel. He is, yeah, he's actually very frustrating right now because he's playing higher than I think you should be playing given what's around him. Um, on the other hand, every single game, there's at least one of those ridiculous plays where he just doesn't feel any pressure coming makes a mess of it and he's like whatever about not feeling the pressure coming and making it worse that's generally not good but every time that pressure gets to him he fumbles the ball it's absurd like uh tj watt at some point during the pittsburgh tennessee game got effectively a clean through strip sack shot on ryan Tannehill, swatted down on the ball and it didn't move it was impressive Tannehill's ability to clamp that thing without knowing it's coming was crazy if that hit daniel jones that ball would be 25 yards away skittering around on the ground waiting for people to fall on it like the difference between those two guys and just basic control of the football in the pocket with knowing that at any point pressure might arrive is crazy uh after the game the giants did trade marcus golden their edge rusher to the arizona cardinals we'll talk about the cardinals later they have a car waiting for him listen you just go you go. That's what happens in professional sports. When you get traded, you go. So Golden, going back to Arizona, played there between 2015 and 2018, had been grading in the mid-60s as a pass rusher. Um, so solid, but also now essentially the most capable edge rusher that Arizona has when you combine him with Hassan Reddick. So it should help maybe at least a little bit, even though Golden hasn't been great. We talked about last year, 64 total pressures, 12 sacks, a bit inflated by having 509 rushes, which is a yeah. lot. Critically, he gives them some more size on the edge because they you know, like Hassan Reddick has been playing a lot better, but the guy still, whatever he is, 240 pounds. You know, they've, they've been platooning the guys to replace Chandler Jones with people that are 20 pounds lighter than Chandler Jones, which might not make any difference from a pass rush standpoint, but... You also have to set an edge. You have to, you know, there's a bunch of reasons that most edge rushers are still 260 plus pounds. Set an edge. Come on. So Marcus Golden can do that stuff. That's a fine. Talking about the run game. Okay. Anyway, the Eagles, the Giants, the NFC East remains wide open. God. The Eagles in first right now at 2 4 and 1. Is that? Mm, yes. That's right, right? Yeah. 
and then the Washington football team on their heels mm. after their win that we'll discuss. As a Dallas, who can't win again, ever. Let's go to the NFC South. Carolina Panthers, New Orleans. Obviously, the Rams are still number Saints. one. Rams are number one. I know you've got a great scenario for that. Go ahead. Yes. NFC East scenario. You want me to give it now? Yeah, just do it. Well, we were as saying... We're, we're, yeah, as we finish up the, the okay. Eagles. We were saying before that, you know, a team with five wins could win the division. Right. My now, my ideal dream scenario now is that a team with five wins takes the NFC East crown, hosts a playoff game, hosts the Rams, loses to the Rams. The Rams, therefore, win the division with five wins, despite playing in the NFC West. It's something to root for here. <laughs> we're week seven. We're in week seven. It's Let's face for it. You to... That's the best thing that can come out of the NFC East this season, is that the Rams take the division crown with five wins. I really hope that's the way the, uh, the cards fall. Uh, Saints win 27-24 to over the Carolina Panthers. Because we always like to start with the quarterback play. Look out for Drew Brees creeping back toward the top 10 in quarterback rankings. Another efficient game. Now, I will say, the Saints haven't seen the sun in seven weeks. <laughs> They've played this... seven straight indoor games. If there's a test for Brees and the arm and what he's capable of doing the next two weeks at Chicago, like, it's going to be cold. It's not, you know, there's yeah. actually wind. At Chicago and at Tampa Bay, they actually have to go outdoors. This, I think, was my favorite theory I've ever heard. You're, you, you think that what's ailing the Saints is, is vitamin D deficiency. Yeah, they haven't seen the sun. Yeah. They've been indoors for seven straight weeks. Okay. Like, get outside, right? See yeah. See that big or, or star take, in the sky. Or take supplements. Take some, maybe they're not taking supplements. <laughs> Whatever. But they, uh, man, they had a bad busted coverage in this one, too. Helped keep the, the Panthers around. Um I credit the Panthers. I like you know, I like the way they battle, and I, I do feel like they're just um, overachieving in general as a team, You know, even just being able to hang in this thing. Um, but Breeze, he made two deep outs from the, har the far hash, things yes. that didn't look possible after two weeks. Um, a couple of his incompletions, you know, just didn't have many incompletions, but a couple, you know, miscommunications, and he's, he's still he's throwing the ball pretty well. He, right is, he is playing now the way we thought he was going to play this season, which is, I mean, he's definitely on the way to being cooked, but the stuff he's good at, like the dude is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, the stuff he's good at is good enough to offset the things he's bad at, right? So this is Drew Brees with the sliders for accuracy and anticipation turned all the way up so that it doesn't really matter that the one for arm strength is you know, way, yeah. way, way towards the left. Like, despite those two relative deep shots, he's still had an average depth of target of under six. Like, it is... I mean, they were just deep outs. Everything else was I know, pretty much underneath. And it is yeah. at times genuinely depressing watching the play calling from this offense. Like, there was one play that I think summed up this offense better than anything else. Third and 14, they hit Alvin Kamara at the line of scrimmage on a crossing pattern and just basically went, all right, go... It's 14 yards for you. Have fun. And he got it. Yeah. And he, like, breaks a tackle, you know, does that sort of shimmying stuff in traffic to get another four yards at the end, just about picks it up. And you're like, there – we were joking about this a while ago, but that offense genuinely – the game plan honestly is get the ball to Kamara in space and he will pick up what we need to pick up in order to keep the chains moving. And then generally Drew Brees will be accurate and, you know, keep ticking over. But I think at some point that's just sad to watch. But they, they have no Michael Thomas, no Emmanuel Sanders. They get Marquez Callaway picking up nine catches. And, you know, he did a pretty nice job playing outside. Traquan Smith, you mentioned Kamara. 
Uh, Jared Cook had the nice touchdown on the back shoulder. Deontay Harris, speed receiver, he was the guy. You know, he was the mm-hmm. recipient of those those deep out routes. They're stitching it together, and you know, I, I got to give Breeze some credit there. Their offense is good, right? And it has been, honestly, even with Breeze playing really terribly the first few weeks, it was kind of good then anyway. Like, it, yeah, it's it was strange, but the defense is a big concern. Like on paper, heading into the season, this defense was supposed to be one of the reasons they were a Super Bowl team. It isn't at the moment. And it's not even in the ballpark. Like, if this team wants to be in the Super Bowl, this defense needs to figure out a way of playing to their potential almost across the board. I don't know if there's a single guy on that defense that's actually holding up his end of the bargain. Um, Trey Hendrickson, maybe. And that's only Trey because the ceiling yeah. is relatively low. Balling. <laughs> but where's everybody else? Well, so it's funny. I watched, I watched this. I, I did the a lot of the quarterback grading and review and all that stuff. So when you're watching, like, uh, in the slot, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, it felt like he was a part of the – it just shows what how difficult it is to play slot receiver uh, slot corner in the NFL. He's got matchups against uh, Robbie Anderson. You know, the Panthers do a really nice job of giving Robbie Anderson opportunities mm-hmm. in the slot as the inside receiver in trips and all that stuff. And CGJ has to try to keep up with Robbie Anderson, with DJ Moore – so it was one of those, like, it felt like he was in and around the action and he wasn't bad, but he got torched overall. Like, he just, yeah. you know, got beaten. Um, challenging, though. And I, I got to give credit to the Panthers and their offense. I mean, they are doing a good job of getting, you know, creating plays for Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and right. getting players in space and playing sure. the Teddy Bridgewater's skill set and all that stuff. But, yeah, the Saints defense. But, like, Marshawn Lattimore is being lit on fire this season. I know. It's, it's, not, it's not great for uh for the saints on the back end but going back to our preview podcast does that mean they're going to turn it around because they're so talented they're going to positively regress or is it just a concern that especially in that back seven they don't have the firepower that we once thought that they did malcolm jenkins with bad busted coverage on that uh deep 74 yard touchdown jenkins is another player it's being fairly well lit up this season yeah but you know, there's some. You know, again, you see, you see the talent. You see some plays where Marcus Williams is taking away some routes and various things like that. I think they're still talented, one of the best teams in the NFC. Panthers, once again, you lose by three at New Orleans in the dome. I just, you know, I'm impressed that they hung around. To be and honest. they didn't score in the fourth quarter. Yeah, like, this is yeah. The, the Panthers are way better than I think everybody gave them credit for heading into the season. And when you consider how young and new everything is. That can only be encouraging. And as well as Teddy Bridgewater has played, you know, there's clearly much more room to be better than that at the quarterback, right? So if their plan does include his successor this year, next year, you know, in the immediate future, like things are really looking up for the Panthers fairly quickly. They also put Curtis Samuel at running back just to uh, go read Sam's article putting wide receivers at running back. Somebody else did something like that this week. I sent you a message every time I saw one. No, I know. Somebody else moved a guy like that into the backfield. and Yeah, Debo. And the guy that I think should be put there is Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram should be used the way the Patriots were using Aaron Hernandez at this point, which is because we're already giving him carries. It's just all in the jet motion stuff, Right. right? At that point, put him in the backfield. Like how That's hard, when it breaks the defense. Yeah, how right. hard can taking a handoff be when you're already giving guys like jet carries and those kinds of things? And for the love of God, it gets the capacity of dropping the ball out of his, uh, out of his future. So, yeah, like the thing, Evan Ingram in particular should be used like that because he's 
incredibly frustrating in terms of like he is a big talent with the ball in his hands but getting it into his hands apparently is more challenging than it should be uh, let's go uh home here cincinnati bengals and the cleveland browns this was an interesting game Matt, the browns and bengals are must-see tv nowadays so this game started off with baker i think 0 for 3 with an interception and it was a pretty bad interception that was underthrown and got his receiver injured on the play um, yeah it was bad now the, i mean the injury wasn't baker's fault but <laughs> the point is it went pretty bad early on right and from that point on baker went and had almost a perfect game with five touchdowns like 300 yards insane numbers and they all including a game-winning touchdown to seal it right at the end i have to say so the interception that he threw and then two of his other better throws which include uh, a pass up and away from coverage to richard higgins and then that the game winner right they're all kind of the same throw and they're just weird throws right like when you have a vertical nine route on the outside you either throw it with touch over the shoulder and try to drop it in the bucket or you back shoulder it you know behind the defender away from coverage baker's not even doing he's not doing either he's throwing them like seam routes essentially which is usually you know from the slot he's throwing them like seams like over the corner's head for the receiver to make a play with yeah. zip on it which i think is fascinating because the two that worked were like whoa those are pretty nice throws those are those are nice the one that didn't he just throws it right to the corner it, that feels like an unsustainable way of throwing the uh, the outside go ball. It's also kind of the only throw he seems to have in his bag at the moment. It's part of the thing I'm I'm yeah. bringing up too. Like, is he not capable of throwing with touch? And this I mean, is what he's leaning on. I don't understand where that's going. I don't want to take a, a thing because everybody thinks you hate Baker Mayfield. No, I know. I, we I don't, don't want to remember. take anything away from him on his best game in a long time. But it's just an it's a different style that he's incorporating here that worked really well yesterday. I don't remember which game it was. I don't think it was against against Pittsburgh, given how bad that went. It might have been the week before. But I was messaging you. I was like, Baker only has one throw. Like everything he throws is like that. It's that bullet seam. There's no touch on anything. Yeah. Um, and then almost obviously immediately after that, he threw something with touch, and it was good play. But so yeah, this is a weird one because. In order to analyze this, you need some kind of nuance, and that's where things break down because people don't have that. Baker was really, really good in this game from the point where he had the interception and the 0-3 start, right? Um, the numbers, the grade will back up the numbers, right? The numbers are crazy, and a lot of the time we say, well, the grade won't match that because here, here, Oh, here. no, he's the got grade, a 90-plus passing right. grade. He'll, it's legit. The grade will match those numbers. On the other hand, you have to factor in the competition we the first few weeks of the season right i it was sort of like the ravens game was concerning on the other hand it was the worst possible opposition then the bengals game was such a perfect opposition to get everything back on track again you kind of had to throw it out right and this was such an optimal scenario for the offense and for the quarterback it kind of didn't really mean anything and then the next games were the ones where you started to learn a bit more washington uh, Dallas and, and whoever else um, you kind of have to do the same thing now right yes Baker was phenomenal yes it's good to see that he can still make accurate throws hit guys make big time throws do all the things that he did yesterday on the other hand this Bengals defense is garbage and when, just before we went on air we looked it up that it didn't feel like at any point in the game they effectively forced him to work through a progression and find a receiver right he just went, dropped back, had a number one target, and hit him, which is fine. But that 
doesn't happen most games, right? Most games you actually have to like, do yeah. some sort of processing. You can't just, like, this is where the ball's going, drop back, there, that's there, boom. And of all his plays, he was forced to a second read twice, two times in this game. So if, And there were no checkdowns, essentially, either. So basically everything he did was literally drop back, stare at his first target, and hit him. And like again, no, he just—that's called pre-snap recognition and knowing where you're going with the ball. Sam. Again, it's great that he was able to do that, and that is a step up from previous games where we weren't sure that he could still do that. But it's not going to happen against most teams. Not even like you know, it's not going to happen. It's most teams will not give you that luxury. So it's like it's clearing a bar, but it's a really low bar to be able to clear. And he cleared it with a lot of room. But we don't know how much, you know, how much extra is there when a team does force him to do other things. Well, maybe it's a stepping stone that he really needed. Because, again, I was, I was very is. critical. Yeah. Very critical of Baker's game against the Steelers. And it wasn't just because of pick sixes. And it was because of simple reads that just felt off. At least in this one, uh, you know, we always text a lot during the games or send, you know, I, when, when he was going for that fourth quarter comeback opportunity. I, th I thought he was going to pull it off. You know, there's games where he hasn't. This felt like one where he's playing with some confidence and going to make some of those big-time throws. That was what his rookie season was. He had yeah. the second-highest percentage of big-time throws behind Russell Wilson. That dropped by like 5% last year in his second season. Now, we'll talk about Herbert later, too. It's, a, it's actually a tough way to sustain, or it's a tough thing to sustain, is just those highest-graded PFF throws, those big-time throws, relying on those over and over again but it is kind of his game because he's capable of making those those pinpoint throws down the field the good news is that there weren't any of those like simple misreads and coverage that would lead that first read to being wrong right right like he now again it's it's a hell of a lot harder to misread the coverage when you're playing the Bengals defense that isn't showing you anything difficult than it is against Pittsburgh that are prepared to blitz and you know do a bunch of weird stuff on the back end in terms of rotating coverages but so, you know, it's it's like, yeah, he he did well, but we we just have to appreciate how easy a test this was. This is like a guy, you know, acing a test, getting 100%, but the test is meant for like 12-year-olds. Like it's it's great, but how hard was that? Classic Sam. The so, wet blanket. There's the Baker hate. The wet blanket on a Monday morning for poor Browns fans. A victory Monday for the Browns. Also is... Uh, moved to 5-2, and two, by the way. Is Jarvis Landry becoming the new um, Muhammad Sanu? That was another nice pass under pressure. Oh, yes. I, yeah, to the guy tweeting at me, if that, yeah, it was a big-time throw. Jarvis Landry, okay. big-time throw. Under pressure. Multiple tweets about with, whether or not that was a big-time throw. With he's, he's dealing with the rib thing as well Very as impressive, Baker. impressive. Richard Higgins, your boy, the top receiver for the Browns, 110 yards. And a couple of those big plays. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Peoples-Jones, hmm. with the big play. Now, I'll just say, you know, as a guy that w likes having multiple playmakers, and, you know, if Donovan Peoples-Jones becomes a bit of a vertical threat for them, you get Higgins out there. Look at that. Receivers three and four making the big plays when you have OBJ and you have Jarvis Landry. Um, OBJ banged up, only played one snap. You know, as you mentioned, getting hurt. But having those guys step up, and having Harrison Bryant step up at tight end with Austin Hooper out. I mean, that was good showing the receiving depth for the Browns. Uh, Bengals, real quick on the other side. Uh, Burrow had a few turnover-worthy plays in there. Still just a ton of pressure on the rookie. To you know, he's, in shoot, he's in these shootouts every week. Yeah, He's dropping back 45, 50 times every single week. 
and you just have to be on <laughs> over and over and over again. I mean, Baker didn't have to drop back a ton, which is why when you create those chunk plays, you know, that's great. He took advantage of those opportunities. But Barrow, it's there's a lot on his plate with the way the Bengals are playing right now. There are. And, dude, he, like, he lost Jonah Williams as well at one point somebody was like texting me what the offensive line currently was like is this on paper is this the worst offensive line that's ever been put on a football field and it might be yeah fred johnson coming in to play tackle right yeah which puts billy price at center like this is miserable Uh, all that said they weren't that bad you know burrow burrow gets rid of the ball pretty quick and that you know he that's the thing too I think that the line is horrible, but you know Andy Dalton had a way of protecting them a little bit. I think Burrow's not bad at it. Like yeah. he, well, a lot of the time, most of, he's he's this weird sort of dichotomy where most of the time he's protecting the offensive line, and then every now and again he'll hang himself and the line out to dry by hanging on too much and getting getting hit. Sure. The other thing, by the way, is that I suspect that Odell Beckham injury is going to be a significant one. Um, so Peoples Jones and Higgins will probably have a lot more opportunities for the rest of this season. Uh, this isn't just me, you know, Dr. Sam idly speculating either, though it was. Initially. Did you ask your dad? No, I, I'm just looking at rap reports, uh, tweets. He says it's feared that they have a major injury. He'll have an MRI today. Typically, when you fear for a major knee injury, it's because they've, you know, wiggled the knee and they there's something out, not yeah. there that should be. So, I, I mean, that it looked bad right off the get-go, but I think, uh, yeah, he's probably done. Given, given how unproductive Baker to OBJ has been, the last year plus will he Are be you going tony dungy right now it's a blessing in disguise no i will i would not say that okay uh will this uh, i'm going to use the deshaun watson analysis will he be a little bit more reliant on other people spreading the ball around maybe you force fewer pa- not that he was forcing a ton to obj but maybe you just feel like you can run the offense a little bit more if you're baker there's a difference between a receiver going down and changing the way you play football and then a quarterback going down and going to a lesser quarterback and saying that's better for you there's yeah a difference. i mean look what the analysis we've been giving in this game is that the guy never came off his first read so at some point if you look up and your first read is donovan's people's jones and he's not wide the hell open you have to go to number two that's not a bad thing all right let's go to the uh, afc east buffalo bills and the new york jets the Jets get out to a 10-0 lead. They're keeping it close. They held the Bra- the Bills to eight field goal attempts, six of which went through the uprights for 18 points. So, hey, the Jets battled, man. They battled and kept it close, but the offense had four yards in the second half, so it didn't matter. Despite gaining nine yards, I think, in their first play of the second half. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> kind of tells you everything you need to know about this game. Like, the Jets honestly had the game there for the taking and then didn't take it and in fact gave it back yeah uh, by the way since i've ripped up the apology we need to do a grade breakdown since oh, the apology was ripped up damn it uh let me just uh sort really quick here the last three weeks josh allen's passing grade 65.5 not terrible yeah but about what he was last year over the last three weeks seven turnover worthy plays including three in this game um did play in the rain yes. one time played in the rain um I, I will say i thought Allen did a pretty good job of settling down and taking what was there the jets were trying to avoid the big play that you know the broadcast mentioned it even a little bit too Allen likes to be aggressive i thought you know it was a million bubble screens in there too but i thought he did a nice job of at least taking the underneath stuff in the second half granted they could not do anything 
once they got into the Jets' side of the field as far as converting and putting the ball in the end zone. But I thought Allen at least kept the game, you know, kept, you know, took the underneath stuff a lot more. That's why I completed a high percentage of passes. Yeah. It, does it feel like the Josh Allen analysis now has been changed by the fact that he had that, like, three-game, what is now looking like a three-game run of elite play? Because now when we're sort of talking about him post-elite post run, it feels like we're the Bills fans from the last two years that were, like, giving us this analysis when we were just like, look, he's not good. I don't know what more you want from us. Like, but having seen the high end, it feels like we're sort of giving them back their own analysis because you've seen he's at least capable of it. So now it's like, well, you know, I know he had the turnover plays and didn't look that good, but, you know, he settled down. And... Yeah, I mean, there's an element to that. I mean, look, overall, he's still top 10 passer in the NFL by our grades. Right, but it's year. all based on a three-week run where he looked like Mahomes. Yeah, but I mean, th but those are the ebbs and flows of the year. Those things still happened. Um, definitely still having some turnover luck overall, but, you know, he's still... He's still generally playing pretty well, but the last three weeks haven't been as good. It was nice, I think, for the Bills to actually see their defense making some plays for the first time in weeks. And now how much of that is just playing the Jets' offense? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I this, think um, this was this was a this was like a last year's Bills game. Yeah. 18 to 10. And, that, well, and that's what Josh Allen has been since, since the apology letter. Uh, I will also say that this offense seems to miss John Brown a lot. He's now missed a couple of games – not just back to back, but uh, independent—you know—independent games a few weeks apart. Um, and when he isn't there, it's like they don't have—they haven't accounted for that in the offense. Like most of the, you know, they have specific roles for these receivers generally. And John Brown has that specific deep uh, target role, or the guy that runs off a of defense. And when he isn't there, they don't seem to have a good swap in place for it. Um, Gabriel Davis was the guy that had the deeper targets in this game. But I don't know. It's, it, it misses a lot when he isn't on the field. And I think that does hurt Josh Allen. But that's not necessarily something in his favor if you're that dependent on one specific role player within your offense. The other thing that was interesting is we got uh, Denzel Mims' debut, which yeah. looked like it was going great for the first half. He had, what, like a four catches, 40-something yards, was making some plays. And then obviously the Jets got nothing in the second half, so his stats stayed the same. <laughs> they did. At least, you know, they're getting some of their playmakers back, Denzel Mims, and you got Brashad Perryman out on the field. You got Jamison Crowder not on the field. I will say, I would like to see that Jets offense with all three of those guys out there. Well, sure. Crowder's played well. Yeah. Perryman, who also got banged up, but Denzel Mims, out there. you get all three of those guys out there, then we'll see what happens. Um, Sam Darnold, though, still continues to not play well he had three turnover worthy plays of his own yeah, yeah it, it is worth sacks. saying i mean it is worth saying that for all the misery that has been the jet season this year they have also missed a lot of players injured yeah like of course kai becton was maybe their best player on offense went down now you know you can talk about whether they should have put him out there to re-injure himself in the first place but whatever um Jamison Crowder has been arguably the other best player on offense. Again, he just got missing. Denzel Mims hasn't played at all. He was one of their top rookies. They were expecting to be an impact player. Perriman has missed. Like everybody that would potentially have made a difference to this team hasn't been playing. Uh, the pass blocking grades for the Jets are not going to be pretty once they reach premium stats 2.0, all a part of your PFF elite package. That's all I'll say. Okay. I am uh, 
Blinded by red. Blinded by red. It's tough to get into the red. Sam, they're in the 20s as a team. Ooh. Pass blocking yeah. grades. So, uh, credit the Bills' defense. Do not credit the Jets' offense. Wait, do we – if we're previewing – when we preview the Jets, we give Clemson's uh, – upcoming opponent when we review them do we talk about trevor lawrence this week yeah i mean lawrence had a pick six and um i gotta go back and see if it was really his fault okay i didn't actually see the play i just heard he got a pick six <laughs> saw a couple of the other throws he made um but syracuse kept it close they did at clemson yeah which you know might be concerning but uh trevor lawrence would still that's still the guy you're looking for oh yeah i'll give you more in-depth analysis next week and uh, in the, in the okay. preview show because that was weak sorry about that it's all right. Look, I got a lot going on. I sprung it on you. It's fine. On Saturdays. It's fine. I, I hung you out to dry. Detroit Lions and the Atlanta Falcons. God. Wow, the Lions pull it off. Yes. A couple things here. First off, <laughs> good Stafford showed up. Fun to watch. Yeah. There was a, so there was a play the previous week that almost hinted at Stafford. Good Stafford's ready. He's showing up. It was a pass like you're a defender right in his face, and he looked at him, and he just went like, sidearm pass that right was nice around yeah, yeah. him he's got a great line in sidearm deliveries this was and he did it yesterday but he this was in the jags game yeah no, no was, i know it was foresight right to what was going to show up yesterday which was pretty good stafford and he throws this 29 yard laser down and away from coverage to kenny galladay to set up the game winner making a few throws outside of coverage throwing anticipation dig routes man i love when good stafford shows up i'm trying to work out what i think about this generally but Stafford is different when Kenny Galladay is on the field. Um, and I think that's generally true for most quarterbacks who have an elite number one wide receiver. Like for all this talk about it's all about numbers two, three, and four, and you can be better if you have this stable of receivers. Like if you have a guy who has a Julio Jones or a Kenny Galladay or whoever your elite number one is, when that guy's out there, the quarterback is just different. It plays wait, differently. Wait, wait Sam. Uh -huh. We're talking. We're talking about Matthew Stafford, who lost Calvin Johnson and got better a couple of years ago. I know this. Um, it's possible that that isn't a you know causative, like it, it's a it's one data point in a sea of noise. And I fully embrace the idea that I use that as a as a <laughs> you know as a, a way of proving my point that I wanted to make. But I'm not 100 percent sure that I believe it. Um, but and I'm also not even sure I, I believe the one I'm articulating now because as much as Matthews or Matt Ryan plays different when Julio's out there. When Julio wasn't out there, Calvin Ridley was like going off for a million yards. So, like, is it really true? Well, but look, I do think that Galladay impacts good Stafford. Here's here's where it here, here's where it shows up. Stafford wasn't like pinpoint on all of those throws to Galladay. He's kind of hanging him out to dry on a couple of them. But Galladay six for six on contested catches. Yeah. So Stafford's is anything that brings out Stafford's aggressiveness is what I'm a fan of. And I think Galladay does that, right? You, you're, you're more willing to throw him open or put the ball up and away from coverage, let him go and get it. And he is fantastic body control-wise and just winning at the catch point. Six for six, though, yesterday on all those, like, at the catch point, that's incredible. And even if you don't, so even if it's not that it, it makes him more aggressive, those catches give him more chances, right? Because you're extending drives. Every yeah, contested catch he makes versus not making that contested catch is potentially an extended drive that you have more chances to pass on. So just generally giving a quarterback, even, you know, almost even the worst quarterbacks in the NFL are making more plays than they're not making in terms of, you know, passing success. So if you just give those guys more pass opportunities on a drive, you're going to see more good play. 
So for Stafford, if Galladay makes six contested catches that extend six drives, that gives him a whole bunch more opportunity to make plays, even if it's not that, hey, Galladay's bringing in these contested catches, better start dialing up more passes to Galladay, like even if it's just a product of giving him the ball again. I thought uh, defensively the Lions did – I feel like they're doing a better job. They are doing a better job getting after the quarterback in, in recent weeks. Got a little more cre- – they're getting more creative, as you mentioned on the preview, playing more zone. Uh, Jeffrey Okuda does not look great when playing zone, which is also interesting. Your first-round pick is a, is a cleaner player when it's just here, cover this dude in front of you. He's, he's a little awkward in some of their zone concepts. Um, but Romeo Okwara Romeo – with a key strip sack of Matt Ryan. I mean, they did a better job of scheming up some pressure and also actually winning up front. And then from a Falcon standpoint, Matt Ryan played pretty well. The passing offense played pretty well. There was just, I think it's Arthur Blank's fault. for go- Yeah, for going down to the sideline before the game is over in his fancy suit waiting just, for a victory. Yeah, I mean, he did it in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I think Arthur Blank just needs to... Can we talk about the the madness that is the end of this game? How weird is a game where scoring a touchdown is a bad thing? So then there's that whole deal, right? So Todd Gurley runs up the middle. Hmm. The Lions are down. Were they down one? Sorry, they were down. That brought them within. um, No, they were down one. The field goal would have won it for them. Oh, sorry. They were up three. They were up two. The Lions were up two. Yeah. Right, so the Falcons... Would have won with a field goal. Todd Gurley runs through the line. The Lions let him go. Mm-hmm. He didn't feel it. It's happened in the Penn State game the other night as well. By the way, Siciliano did a great job. Yeah. I was watching... I have uh, Andrew. Scott, so I didn't hear. I was watching our friend Andrew. He, he's got the quad box going, and he just did a great job jumping from game to game. And when Gurley did this, he actually mentioned this happened in the Penn State game last yeah. night. Did a great job with it. So Gurley, instead of going down at the one... Running the clock out, kicking the field goal to win, goes in the end zone. The Lions are begging for him to be called for it to be called a touchdown because he kind of stopped at the last second. Tried right? to, yeah, and hit the ground just before broke the plane. It was the Lions' only chance to win. They would have had to drive down and score a touchdown, which they did. Yeah, that was. It's just such an insane crazy. sport where actually scoring a touchdown late in the game is a bad thing for your team. Yeah, the situational awareness is yeah. um, so a minute left crucial. They could have drained the, the clock almost all the way down, kicked the field goal, which would have been a chip shot, obviously, from like just in front of the posts, uh, won the game, effectively. Instead, you score the touchdown, which is great. It puts you extra points. It puts you in the lead, like, like the field goal would have, but it gives them the ball back with a minute left to try and answer. And it's the, you know, the old adage that, oh, too much time on the clock. You don't want to give, you want to give the ball back to the offense with some time on the clock. So the Lions do execute the minute-long drive, and uh, th- even that drive was nuts. Like they almost, yeah. they almost screwed up spiking the ball because the running back couldn't get like running back kept getting pinballed by the fat bodies trying to get back to the line <laughs> of scrimmage. So Stafford was talking about it, and he was like, "We spiked the ball." I looked to the right, and Carryon was like fl- <laughs> flying like on the ground having been skittled by some lineman so he thought they were going to get a 10 second runoff then as long as he's on the ground and not moving it's right um that i mean that was just a bizarre sequence and then right at the end gets chased out of the pocket makes the makes the pass for the touchdown and another another arthur blank yeah arthur seems to be on the sideline for all these collapses it is a little sad 
Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Also, this may have been the ugliest uniform game in NFL history. The Lions gray versus the gradient. Yeah. Why do football teams keep trying to put a gradient into a uniform? It doesn't I don't know. work. It's bad. Uh, but as, as far as all the new uniforms go, Chargers, Chargers blue. Yeah. And I really love the Rams uniforms. Come on. I love. Do not try and claim that they would not be better if instead of bone, they used white. No, I think like bone, normal and, bone and blue. Stop it. Bone, they're all blue is really good. The blue is nice, but again, they've got gradient numbers. Make the numbers white. Yeah, I don't need gradient. That's fine. The numbers are wrong. But I think the colors, the, they're, they're color blue. The bone, no, the bone is bad. White is better than bone. Anyway, the, um, the Lions salvaging their season. Well, this is what we still talked hanging about. Around the here. Lions' schedule is setting up for them to actually be in a pretty good place in a couple of weeks' time. There was also a game-saving play by Trey Flowers. Uh, fourth down conversion. Matt Ryan has an open receiver to the flat. They drop Trey Flowers. I, I like the creativity the Lions had defensively. They were mixing it up. Drop Trey Flowers into coverage, and he breaks up the pass to you know to stop the fourth down conversion. That ended a lot of key plays in there for the Lions defensively, including letting the Falcons score. So the Lions, yeah, we'll be talking more about them as they try to make their little run in the NFC North. We might not be talking as much about the Dallas Cowboys. Oh God, who are just Wow. It's ruining our analysis on how important playmakers are and all that stuff. Well, I think it is showing that. No, I don't think it is. I, I think it's. Dallas lost to Washington, by the way, by a lot. Yeah, heavily. I think it's showing that we talked about offensive lines being as bad as the weakest link, right? And as long as you're okay across five positions, you're fine. In fact, you're good. Um, but if you have a disaster of a weak link, that's a problem and you need to fix that. Cowboys right now have like four weak links, maybe five. Like the offensive line is, it's a disaster. It's as bad as any other offensive line in the NFL. And the league this year still features some of the worst offensive lines ever. Like everybody that was good on that offensive line is now injured. And they're starting some very, very bad players. Have they crept below average? They've crept way below average. And not crept, leapt. They have leapt below average, way below average. Andy Dalton at quarterback. Another poor game. And then gets KO'd by and then John Bostic. John Bostic, really bad cheap shot, man. That was a bad cheap shot. Dalton slid. Bostic hit him in the head. Dalton's head bounced off the ground. The Ben DiNucci comes in, makes one good throw, and takes a bunch of sacks. Also Three sacks on six drops. Fumbled the ball. He also, yeah. His first play was a fumbled pitch. pitch. Yes, fumbled pitch. Um, so Dalton... I'm assuming he's in con concussion protocol. Yes. Which means he might not play next week. I would suspect he will not play next week. Are the Cowboys legitimately going to call the Dolphins right now during their bye week? I don't think so. Like, because you're, 
you would only do that if you think that Dalton if Fitz is an upgrade over Dalton Long for the rest of the season, right? You're not going to do it for a one-week emergency. We have two games of Dalton looking not good. As much as we wanted to turn back the clock to 2013 and say, hey, last time Dalton had some playmakers, that was 2013. Yeah. He has played well. 15. 15, sorry. He has played well at points over the last couple of seasons, but the last two games are horrendous, man. Yeah against the Cardinals and against the the football team here. I wonder if they're really thinking, well, Fitz has played some good football the last couple of years. Let's take our shot here. With a bad offensive line as well. That that goes in Fitz's favor, to the fact at, that he's been dealing with it with bad at the very protection. least. At the very least, stylistically, if Fitz has Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup and the Dalton Schultz, He's at least going to give them opportunities. <laughs> the Dalton Schultz. Right? He's going to give them opportunities. Here's Just the saying. thing, though. Are they not reaching the point where it's like, I mean, to hell with 2020? Like, what are Dallas playing for right now? I know that they are still right in the thick of it in the NFC East. But the point at this stage is not, like, to win the division. The point is, like, if we have to play the Bucks in January, what happens? And at this point, if Dallas has to play the Bucks in January, they're losing by, like, 50 points. So does it even matter if they – win the NFC East are they not better saying well this season was a mess let's let's forget this and start building for 2021 instead when we might have a quarterback and an offensive line in yeah. addition to all these playmakers I just I don't see the I don't see the relief in an emergency trade for Fitzpatrick no, that might it. might take the division at six six and ten and you lose a top 10 pick right you lose a top 10 pick and get annihilated in the postseason and then what Top 10 pick that likely needs to be used on defense. Trevon Diggs gets torched deep again by your boy Terry McLaurin. But wasn't bad overall. It wasn't bad overall, but there was that, that, that one was stood ugly. out, yeah. right? Um, Kyle Allen played a pretty decent game for Washington, and they got, you know, their playmakers showing up with McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, uh, really running the ball well. I mean, this is how bad Dallas's defense is. That Kyle Allen was able to have a quiet, efficient, 200-yard, one-turnover-worthy play game. Yeah. Like if you can get if Kyle Allen doesn't feel pressured enough to the point where he throws you the ball two or three times in a game, what are you even doing out there? And this was one of those games where Washington. You mentioned Dallas's offensive line, but Washington's D line. When you're you're getting pretty good pass rushing performance from Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat got in in a couple sacks. Tim Settles making plays. Chase Young. So there was. Uh, I mean. Know. <laughs> this the Dallas defense is mind blowing to me right now. The the grades obviously aren't finalized, but one, two, three, four, five, six, six of the top eight grades are from Washington on defense. The only two Dallas players that are in the ballpark of grading well in this game are Demarcus Lawrence and Everson Griffin. Um, they just everybody again. There's another team that. Okay, a lot has gone wrong, and they're missing a lot of players and injuries and all those kinds of things. On the other hand, why is this defense so bad? Because there's more talent there than they're showing. Yeah. Significantly more. That, that's what I'm mostly concerned about. It's not Dalton. I mean, Dalton's – if you're trying to win this year, Dalton, the way he's played, is a concern. Yeah. Um, given the talent that they have at the skill position. But I think it's fine to say, look, this, is one of the, this offensive line is now in ruin. It's too much for Dalton to overcome. With, that's fine. But, yeah, something needs to happen defensively for the Cowboys. 
And I think, and now you're getting all this. Nobody likes Mike McCarthy. Nobody trusts the coaches. The coaches can't, and that's going to get worse and worse. Yeah. Especially, I imagine it's going to get really bad this week. You're coming off of a 25 to three loss to the football team. Football team right back in the thick of the NFC race. Race. East. Race. East. The NFC East only. East race. Yes. Thank you. That's all that. Look, it's early. Only, only the Giants are letting down the side by having one win. Otherwise, the entire division will be rooted on two wins each. I just can't wait. They're in prime time this week, right? We have some Cowboys-Eagles coming up or something on Sunday Night Football. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, this is – I can't remember the numbers, but it's like the furthest into – it's like the worst record that a division has had this far into a season ever, essentially. The weirdest part about that is that's the way the division was last year, and that rarely – is the case it, that it, there's usually ebbs and flows right. and it cycles and yeah, all like that the stuff. The year after the Seahawks won that division with like seven and nine, like somebody was good. Yeah, they were good, and you know it loads up a little bit. It is hilarious that the NFC East has been terrible for two straight years. So credit the uh, football team, twenty-five to three victory. Let's Dude, go to Houston. McLaren being able to like continually perform despite what he's dealing with is kind of nuts. Yeah, he's legit. Only receiver there and has no quarterback and hasn't for his entire career. And yet, like, for his first 20 games or whatever is top 10 all time. Yeah, I'm telling you, Washington, if they if they do get a top 10 pick, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens as far as the, them looking for a quarterback. But they're the classic, like the Broncos did, double up on receiver, right? Add them up, add them to – to McLaurin out there, and all of a sudden, I think you're a, you're a different looking team. Uh, Green Bay Packers, Houston Texans. The Packers kind of ran away with it, but Houston hung close, late scores, and then fourth down stop, key fourth down stop on an option play. Preston Smith makes the stop. Yeah, but then the Texans get a an onside kick, still have an opportunity, but Green Bay holds on. Uh, Packers Packers offense really wasn't slowed down. Four red zone possessions, four touchdowns. Rodgers bounces back with four touchdowns after a, his game. Does it, the, uh, did I mention the Rodgers stat on the preview show? I don't know. Did so, you? Well, no, you didn't. Here's what it is now. Since 2016, <laughs> Rodgers has four PFF grades below 50. Mm -hmm. In the subsequent games, after those four games, those now including yesterday, 15 touchdowns and no picks in those four games after his disastrous sub-50 PFF grade, which he had last week against the Bucks. So Rodgers does have a knack for, you know, not letting the bad games get to him. Once you start to write him off and ask him in a press conference if teams have figured you out, he's like, what are you talking about? We'll be all right. And they were okay against a bad, bad Houston defense. Yes, this went about as you'd expect it to in terms of, yeah, look, Green Bay going from bad or going from an amazing defense to a bad defense. They went back to being, you know, fairly comfortable, let them on fire. Interestingly, though, Rodgers didn't grade that well. Um, you know, he'd been phenomenal for those first few weeks. And it was like, okay, runs into the Bucks, plays terribly. So now you're like, well, how much were those first few weeks just a product of the defenses he was playing? This is back to that kind of level. And the numbers jump back to that kind of level. But Rodgers, I don't think necessarily did. Certainly his grade is, you know, 20 points lower than it was in those first few games. Um well, but, we're talking – so this is one of those – it's not exactly that Monday night game when he had five touchdowns and Yeah, no I picks. mean, Devontae Adams running through the whole defense unchecked after he catches the ball is the kind of yes. thing that will inflate your numbers but not inflate your grade. Wide open seam route. Yeah. Easy easy red zone passes, really, that 
you know, went in the end zone for touchdowns and all that stuff. But either way, the offense is doing a – they did a nice job overall without Aaron Jones. And it was Rodgers to Devontae Adams. 13 out of Rodgers' 23 completions all went to Devontae. That always feels like the Packers' trump card, right? If it's like, it, You could always just feed Devontae Adams. And also, like, if you're the Texans, how do you not stop that? I mean, they, I know he's a really good, a good player, right? At some point when they have one elite receiver and not a ton else and they're going to him endlessly, surely you just take that away. Yeah. Like, okay, we're going to leave something else wide the hell open. But is that not better? At least you forced him to go to something else. Yeah, it should be. Like, can you imagine a scenario whereby Bill Belichick, without wanting to, would let you go an entire game just torching him with one guy? At some point, Unlikely. he would adjust and take it away, right? And force you to go to something else, anything else, just to do it, right? Just just because it's it's better for a defense to make you go to something you don't want to go to than it is to just accept that you're going to get beat by the thing they want to do to you all day long. Yeah. And yet, they didn't. They just let it happen. Over nope. and over 56% and over of and the over catches go to Devontae. And over and over again. <laughs> So this week, PFF.com, I'll be combining with uh, our in-house cap expert, Brad Spielberger, writing about the Texans. Okay. We're going to do a little series for you fans that are looking forward, Texans fans, Falcons fans, maybe Jets fans, Jags fans. Uh, but this week, it's how to fix the Texans. So we're going to this be like our GM pitch Nice on the, on the site this week, PFF.com. So that's my Texans analysis for the podcast is read the article this week. We'll do a little, how did we get here? From a roster standpoint, how do we rebuild this thing? When you get the uh, the GM job, is he going to be your cap guy? Oh, he's in the running. Okay, he's in the running. He's you know Tulane grad. You know, impressive. All right, it's been impressive so far. Check his workout pff.com. That's Brad Spielberger. So uh, Packers bounce back nicely. Mm -hmm. How much do we weigh this uh, Bucks game? It's going to be like my question every single week. Well, it's this is a scenario whereby Green Bay became a contender, right, based off the early part of the season. I know a lot of people would be saying, look, they're 13-3, and NFC Championship game, they were already a contender. But the narrative on them, at least in a lot of circles coming into the season, was 13-3 and was a little bit of a mirage. They weren't that good a year ago. They didn't get better in the offseason because everything they did seemed to be building for the future and or an offense that was fundamentally worse. Damn it. Fundamentally again. You could say it once or twice a game. Sure. A show. Um, See? The I offense they the had time. was materially worse. Uh, constituent, con constitutionally? Anyway, whatever. What? Worse. Um, worse. Yeah, worse. You actually don't need the adjective. <laughs> You're right. And, uh, adjective? Anyway. Uh, adverb. Then Rodgers comes in, and Rodgers is back to 2011 revenge tour Aaron Rodgers. And suddenly the whole thing is different, right? The offense has changed. They're giving him easier things to work with, and he's lighting everybody on fire, torching the NFL. So the Packers are back being contenders. Then they run into another contender, the Bucks, who are getting their stuff in order, and things go south in a hurry. This week they get back on track, but now that game is going to be looming over their season as you know, the concern, right? That the last time we ran up against a legitimate potential other Super Bowl team, the wheels fell off in spectacular fashion. So effectively, that's going to be looming over them until they run up against another one of those teams and show that they can have a different outcome. Yeah, I think that's fair. Packers moved to 5-1 and one 
on the season. Let's go to what was supposed to be the best game of the of the week: Pittsburgh Steelers and the Tennessee Titans. Pittsburgh gets out to a huge. What do you mean supposed to be what? That was supposed to be the best game of the week. On the game, I. What do you mean? Was it the best game of the week? I mean, it was in the running, no? I didn't. It was okay. By the way, the the specter of this Packers season that the next time, blah blah blah. I, they don't play another one of those teams for a long time. Like the next up is Vikings, 49ers after that. I don't think they're in that conversation this season. Jags, Colts, eh. Bears for the first time, Eagles, Lions, Panthers, Titans in week 16. Maybe they could be in that conversation. And then Chicago again, week 17. The next like genuine test against the Super Bowl team that the Packers have might be in the playoffs. Really interesting. So the Packers might be a mirage again this year is what you're saying. Or at least we won't know until it's too late. You know what I mean? Like We won't have an answer to that question until they're either beating or getting blown out against the team in the postseason. All right, Steelers-Titans. Were you surprised at how this went? Steelers jump up early. Tennessee tried to creep back. Um, I wasn't surprised that the Steelers jumped out to a lead and were at one point fairly well suffocating that Titans offense. I was kind of surprised that Tennessee crawled back into it and – we were certainly given assists in doing that. You know, like Roethlisberger throws end a pick in the end zone, which ends yeah. up going back, and I think the Titans scored a touchdown on that that drive. So it was a massive swing. Um, it's interesting. The, the Titans, I think, are a good team. This was talked about on our PFF Live show. I was on the camp that, look, I'm writing this Blitzburg defense until a team shows they can stop that. Or not stop it, but neutralize it, make it less effective. Um, and, and the the other guys were arguing that Tennessee's actually really well positioned to do that, right? They run a ton of stuff off play action. They can beat you over the top, which I think is where that defense is potentially vulnerable. And if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Tennessee. And I think both those things kind of happen in the game that what we saw from Pittsburgh early is that they the defense just overwhelms you. But eventually you see that offense is just more powerful than defense in today's NFL. So as much as the defense can, like, suffocate an offense for a while, eventually the offense is going to make some plays and they're going to get you, you know, a few times. And if you're close enough, that can make a difference quickly. So that brings me to – I agree with all that stuff, right? That brings me to the game plan. I mentioned on Thursday on our preview that I said this would be a game that you look on paper and you say this is a Tannehill game. It's not a Derrick Henry game. Right. This is a Tannehill game. We are going to just hit our heads, bang our heads against a brick wall if we just continue to run Derrick Henry, who had 25 carries. 22 um, carries, sorry. Which they essentially did for most of the game. They, they did for most of the game. There was a point where, you know, Henry's got a ton of carries. Tannehill's only got 13 passes, I think, into the third, you know, well into the third quarter. This felt like a game. Not that you don't run play action and all that stuff, but you got to spread it out a little bit put the ball in Tannehill's hands, which they did as part of the comeback. But, you know, he didn't play a great game. And I think that's where, do we start talking about the Titans in the same way we talk about the Ravens? Where they need the game flow to be right. They can't get into must-pass situations. I don't want to over-exaggerate this one game, but Tannehill put the ball in harm's way a ton, got away with some of it. The stats ended up fine, but it still felt like, yes, if you're going to break a big play like they did with A.J. Brown, that felt fluky, though. Like I, Pittsburgh that, controlled the game. My point is Pittsburgh controlled the game. And if you're hoping to break a big play, 
you're still better off doing it with Tana, with the ball in Tannehill's hands, throwing the ball to A.J. Brown and Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys and their tight ends than you are handing it to Derrick Henry against this front seven. Yeah, though it was an interesting game for the sort of the idea <laughs> for the body blows crowd, you know, because Derrick Henry was effectively running into a brick wall for most of the game. And then late on, like right at the death, they started running him into some space. And it, it, this idea of like eventually trying to tackle a 250 pound guy sucks. That's like, fine. But sooner or later, he's going to break some plays. But it costs 22 plays right. to average four per play when you know you you make well, eight or is, ten of those passes this is what i'm saying like if the defense is this good they're going to stop you on a lot of plays the question is can you hang around and make it close enough that when you do start to make those plays it's it's it matters like it wouldn't have made any difference if they were buried four scores down at the point where you finally started to get some success in some of this stuff but if you're close enough maybe it does the other thing that was interesting though is that the steelers dialed way back in the aggressiveness stuff with their defense right came into this game blitzing the second most in the nfl a percentage point behind the ravens at like 46 percent, something like that a huge amount right in this game there were 29 so 10 out of 34 dropbacks their pressure rate was way down in this game as well they were over 50 for the season which is a record pace nobody else has been above 46 i think for a year um, and in this game, they were, I think, the 20s or the 30s again. So they did not have the kind of joy against Tennessee, despite the Titans having no left tackle anymore that we would have maybe expected. A couple key plays in the game. Uh, Terrell Edmonds, pass breakup in the end zone. Huge play. Robert Spillane then comes back with a huge stop on Derrick Henry on Can the goal line. Imagine how much that sucks. Like he had to meet Derrick Henry in the hole. Basically, genuinely, he had to run in a straight line for like seven yards into a wall. Stuffed him. Yeah. And then, like, whatever he did, had to come it, out of the game. broke him because he had yeah. to leave. But it worked. And that was, again, one of those variable decisions. It was fourth and short. They were down 10. He decides to go for the touchdown instead of the field goal. It was the same decision the Cardinals ended up making, um, going for the touchdown first when they had the opportunity rather than just kicking the field goal. Um, I think it was the right decision for Vrabel there, even though it didn't end up, you know, work out at the end. The Titans fell short in their comeback attempt, but man. Um, because of a missed kick. What's that? Because of a missed kick. A missed kick. Goskowski. But they... Again. But you would say, you know, they got stuffed on fourth down. You end up losing by three. A lot of people like taking the points, but there's something like when you're that far in, plus making the you know the other team go the, the length of the field. It was a good decision by Vrabel. If anything, game plan wise, I do, I do think they relied on Henry too much. Yeah, that's not hindsight. That's what I was trying to say on Thursday. I would have I would have put the ball in the air a little bit more against the Steelers defense, but um, Steelers are undefeated, man. They are. I think most of them. Big Ben did not play a big game, as you mentioned. Almost tried to throw it away. Had multiple turnover-worthy plays in this one. Um, three actual interceptions. Yep. So despite Big Ben, if you said Big Ben's going to throw three picks and average 5.5 per attempt, you'd say, okay, this isn't going to work. But a couple big runs by James Conner. Defense was legit. Yeah. I mean, you, pass coverage-wise or run defense-wise, they did a really nice job. Steelers are finding ways to win games multiple ways. Particularly with Ben playing like that without having a like big plays over the top. It's one of, you know, you can play like that if you're going to offset it with a couple of bombs 
but average depth of target was six as well. Like, Roethlisberger didn't play well and wasn't particularly aggressive, and they still won. And honestly, should have won, I think, more comfortably. Like, they, they had this game well in hand and then let Tennessee bank in, um, which makes them, I mean, the Steelers are right up there in terms of Super Bowl favorites at this point. Like, they're as good as anybody in the NFL. They're undefeated. Are they the only undefeated team left? Yeah, last they are now. Um, so they're the only undefeated team left. By the way, how insane is it that, like, for a couple of weeks now, this is the best start to a Pittsburgh season since, like, 1979, since the Steel yeah, Curtains. Because they've been really good. For basically the entire time. Yeah. They've never been bad for they a stretch. They never stumbled into, like, a 5-0 and start, 6-0 right. and start. Like, there's a lot of crappy teams that have been, like, 5-0. and I know. And the Steelers have ne- haven't managed it since the 70s. I, I, I think they're just – the thing is, it's not always pretty every week. Because you know we talked about the back seven hadn't played well until the last two weeks really, um, but they still were winning. Offensively, you got nothing from the great Chase Claypool, the great. negative two yards. Mm-hmm. Right, the next Calvin Johnson does not show up. Mapletron, please. Sorry, does, does not show up this week. But you get Deontay Johnson finding the end zone twice, and Juju with nine catches, Eric Ebron with six catches. I like their depth on offense. That was more. I thought Claypool. He's been so good in, in previous weeks. I thought he was more a complimentary piece to Juju and Deontay and uh, Ebron, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just it, four legit guys that can you know catch the ball and make plays, which is nice. It's a fun receiver group, actually. Also, Ray Ray McLeod almost got himself the punt return touchdown, except he cut the wrong way at the end. Can't do that. Can't, can't do it. But having said that, he made two guys look ridiculous to even get that far. Yeah. Like, that was all him to the point where he probably should have scored a touchdown and didn't. Anyway, we every week we're trying to say, are the Titans le- legit? Are the Steelers legit? You know, the Steelers. You still like the Chiefs and Ravens over the Steelers? They're gonna. I mean, Steelers are gonna play the Ravens. That I mean, that that's up, so. those are huge games. But this team won against an otherwise undefeated team, and they didn't score in the fourth quarter. Like, it's it's it, it it's silly because it came down to a missed kick, and it could have gone either way. But I, this felt like a game where the Steelers actually won it kind of handily. And then it well, just doesn't, what, it's not reflected at the yeah. end. That's what I mean with like the AJ. It depends on how you look at it. The AJ Brown big play as kind of like an outlier. Right. But at the same time, this, the Titans were on the goal line, fourth down stop by I mean, the Steelers. Those two games, Pittsburgh versus Baltimore, are going to be really fun. Those are, those are going to be legit. So, yeah, credit the Steelers, man. They're, they are undefeated. Let's get to the four o'clock games, starting with the Tampa Bay Bucks. This was uh, Tampa Bay Bucks, Las Vegas Raiders. Was Sunday night football moved to four o'clock? Bucks win forty-five twenty, rolling yeah. offensively and still playing that you know pretty tough defense. Gave up a few big plays. Nelson Aguilar getting behind the defense. Henry Ruggs getting behind the defense. But man, the Bucks offense was legit. Tom Brady had four touchdowns. Ran for another one. Uh, played a pretty good game. They're adding Antonio Brown to the mix. We'll talk about that in a minute. Did uh, did Tom Brady just get back in the MVP conversation? Cannot believe you're bringing up the MVP on this podcast. MVP conversation? That's what people are going to talk about. I mean, All right, let's not even bring up the MVP. He is throwing <laughs> the ball extremely well, and we were trying to warn people early in the year where the when the stats weren't great. Yeah, and there were drop touchdowns and all that stuff. Like, stop with your hot takes that Brady doesn't have it and all that. Like, you know, he's throwing the ball pretty well and as he gets more comfortable in this offense he had like 
three or four touchdowns dropped in the first three weeks of the season. Right. Um, like he was always playing significantly better than his numbers suggested. He was basically right behind the trio of um, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and Josh Allen for the first few weeks who were playing out of their freaking minds. And what, two out of those three have come back down to earth? Brady, if anything, has gotten a little bit better now that he actually has some of his receivers getting back. Uh, so, yeah, like, I, I still think that Brady might, n his ceiling now might be just a touch below transcendent quarterback level, right? That he's not quite capable of getting back where he was like the best player in the NFL the way he was, what, 2017? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't, 16 and 17. Yeah, like I don't yeah. think he can get back to that level. But again, now. it's because he can't he won't make those throws under pressure, right? Really. But like he can get right below that. Yep. He can be the next the sort of the, the ceiling of the very next tier of quarterbacks, which when you consider what's around him makes him pretty terrifying for everybody else. Yeah. Like you look at that game and I started wondering all right, everyone sort of thought this is like one go around in Tampa Bay. You know, well, let's win a ring this year. Let's go out in a high. Like, what if he plays beyond this contract? He's got two years in Tampa Bay. And I don't like, there's nothing that you look at and say, well, he's on the way out. Yeah. Like, he's I'm, still firing the ball around looking absurd. Downfield accuracy is fantastic. In, in aided by Gronk too. And Mark Schlereth was, was calling the game. And as much as I, there's a lot of things Mark Schlereth says that I, you know, tend to ignore. He loves a good hog molly. He does. Loves a good, uh, uh, what's the other, he's got some other term for, uh, he just uses the same terms every week. But the one thing he said that I did agree with was the idea of like Gronk's football legs being under him after the, Gronk's still not going to be 2014 Gronk or anything like that, but he's running a little bit better than he was the first two weeks of the season. So there's something about football shape for a guy that wasn't around for a year out in WWE Gronk's making some big plays now. Can you explain if you split Gronk War out, Daddy. He loves a good War Daddy. Mark. <laughs> if you split Gronk out wide in the low red zone, you know, a couple of yards to go, who would you cover him with? Probably my biggest linebacker or safety. So not a five foot nine cornerback. Probably not. No. Mm. I think that yeah. was a mistake. Now to be fair to Nevin Lawson, he did a really good job. He had his hand in there. He and just actually got had muscle. his hand on the ball. Yeah. Gronk, that was the amazing thing about that play, is Gronk actually caught it with two hands and then was forced to take it in one because otherwise it would have been broken up. Like if he tried to maintain grip on it with both hands, Lawson probably would have wrenched that ball out. So he had to like take one hand off the ball so that he could pull the ball away from the hand trying to break it up and then catch it one-handed, essentially. But... Like the guy, I mean, how tall is Gronk? That's like a what six, seven, eight inch swing in height. Forget what it is in reach. Like that's just a bad matchup. Yeah, well, not great. Uh, the Bucks offense. So they're adding Antonio Brown. But even like yesterday, when we describe having multiple playmakers that can do a bunch of stuff, like Mike Evans is barely even a part of this offense right now. It wasn't yes. Uh, he had a couple catches late, but they have Gronk work in the middle of the field in the red zone. Scotty Miller, legitimate deep threat. Brady dropped it in a bucket before the half, but you've got that. They're using him a little bit like Tyree Kill. Yeah. Putting him inside, just saying, outrun this guy on a deep over. Boom. He's 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 outrunning him. He's got the, you know, there's one or two, three deep balls per game for Scotty Miller. Uh that's the playmaker, the wide receiver four for them. That's still going to be a key here, even with Antonio Brown here. You have Chris Godwin and his route running in the slot, in the red zone. 
Mike Evans is still that big-bodied guy who's capable, and he's drew another penalty on you know probably his best route of the day. All that, so they have everything that you need, I think, from a pass game standpoint, other than maybe a running back. But Antonio Brown added to the mix too. Do you agree or disagree with adding Antonio Brown here? I don't know where he fits, right? And if he doesn't fit as sort of every down starter, how happy is he with that? I mean, the problem with Antonio Brown, he probably makes every single roster in the NFL better just in terms of on-field football performance. He's as, at least the last time we saw him, he's as good a receiver as there is in the NFL. Therefore, from a pure football standpoint, every team's better by adding him, right? But it isn't just pure football because wide receivers are divas. And when you add them and it's not the exact role they want, they don't take it well and they get RC and things go south in a hurry. So if you're adding Antonio Brown to this roster, what is his role? Does he take the Tyler Johnson snaps, right? So is he going to play 28 snaps yesterday? They play, a, they play a lot of receivers. Sure. So Tyler Johnson had 28 snaps yesterday, had a touchdown. Um, yeah, and he's looking pretty good too. Sure. Like, but is that his role? Or are you like bumping everyone down the depth chart one? Are you going to piss off Mike Evans and Chris Godwin because now Antonio Brown becomes your number one? Um, it's just, I don't understand what the role is. And then when you consider how badly things have blown up since he was a stealer, you're like, is it, just, is it worth the risk and the headache? Like, is Tom Brady on the phone with this guy and be like, I don't even need you to like keep it together for multiple years. All I like three months. Just keep your stuff together for three months, and I'll get you a championship ring. Is that the pitch here? Well, so from a football standpoint, my my take is I don't know what the downside is from a football standpoint, or even look. I'm not. This isn't vetting for Antonio Brown, the human, or anything like that. Even if he screws up off the field and all that stuff, from a team standpoint. Okay, he's gone. The difference, New England took the chance. I would, I think New England, from a football standpoint, last year took a chance, and it didn't pay off because the guy was off the roster after a game, mm-hmm. right? And it didn't, and then it left you with no receivers, and that's why they struggled last year. If Antonio Brown lasts a game and then get, you know, is off the roster, then you you still have what you have. You still have Evans and Godwin and all these guys. I, what I think it gives you is an incredible insurance policy. Evans and Godwin have both been playing banged up this year, and you can see the offense a little bit different when those guys aren't out there. An insurance policy from a season standpoint and then from a game standpoint, when Brady is going to find the open receiver, and if you're going to put Evans, Godwin, Antonio Brown, Gronk, and Scotty Miller out there on the field, that's every skill set you need to move the ball efficiently through the air and win. The other underrated part, it's not a lot of money, Mm -hmm. and it's a defensive move. The fact that he was talking to the Seahawks or in theory could have gone to the Packers or could have gone to another team that you're competing with, at worst, you're keeping him from them. So the rich get richer from a wide receiver standpoint, and then you're keeping him from another team that could hurt you down the stretch. That's true. Um, My only concern is if, if he keeps it together and is on this roster through this season, somebody has to be happy with their role being diminished from what it should be, right? Either I Chris, think it's Evans. Yeah, and I mean, if I'm Evans, I'm not chuffed about that. Like the dude already had, like he's already essentially been marginalized at times in this offense. Now you're bringing in an Antonio Brown and your chances are getting even smaller. 
are you going to be too happy with that? And if not, that's not a good thing to have suddenly in the locker room as something that's just everybody has to deal with, right? Mike Evans is pissed off because Mike you're, Evans isn't seeing the football anymore. You're trusting, you're trusting that the greatest quarterback and leader of all time will be able to keep it together, right? And if, even if he doesn't, does it actually affect the on-field product? That's what, you know, the, does the locker, fo- locker room angst really hurt the on-field product? You think it does? I don't think it matters a ton. I think the upside's huge. The downside is it, it's, there's a high floor to I mean, it, the downside's whatever. It doesn't, it's not going to affect a ton, I don't think. Uh, Raiders' defense is not great. They tried to hang tough. They, they got within four in the second half. Derek Carr made some nice throws, but yeah, just uh, Bucks are rolling right now, man. Yeah. And I, uh, I, mean, I think there's a genuine case to be made that they're the best team in the NFL right now. So the fascinating dynamic here is this was Sunday night football. It gets moved to four o'clock. The NFL had done a great job of not scheduling the Patriots and the Bucks at the same time. So for the first time this year, I believe, the or maybe week two, maybe, I don't know, one of the first time <laughs> at at the same time, Tom Brady's throwing to Scotty Miller for a touchdown, and Cam Newton's throwing one of the worst interceptions you'll see. So at the same time, the Bucks are dominating offensively. The Patriots look like it's 1992 when they won one game and just horrendous offensively. The Bucks though are now five and two. Their two defeats were week one against the Saints, where you know this is like the first time any of these pieces have been put together, yep. um, and they still had 20 plus points. And the Bears game, where Tom Brady forgot how many downs there are in, in a football game. They've beaten, stumped, in fact, what was an undefeated Packers team at the time. Um, the really interesting games they'll get late in this team's schedule. They face the Saints in that Week 9 game. Yep. They, That's when Antonio Brown's available first, by the yeah, way. They face the Chiefs in Week 12 um, and on the Rams the week before that. So that little stretch, they their schedule gets really nice towards the end. Like they finish the season. They have with the, two Falcons games still. They finish the season with those two Falcons games, a Vikings game and a Lions game to yeah. round out your final month of December. Um, but the, November is essentially when this team's schedule gets really interesting. And I think we probably learned just how good they are. Yeah, and they continue to be a tough team with linebackers flying around. Devin White's a missile, you know, tracking down Derek Carr on sacks. And I mean, there's there's a lot to like about the Bucks all-around team right now. Um, so I was trying to paint a picture of mm. the Bucks scoring 45. Brady, ha- you know, th- showing downfield accuracy, playing an incredible game. Yeah. While Cam Newton struggling to throw a, a 10-yard curl route. New England's defense didn't do a great job containing the Niners' run game and Jeff Wilson. I mean, this was – you just don't see New England Patriots games that look like this one or last week's at home destroyed by the 49ers this particular week. Yeah, the uh, the Patriots suck. Huh. They were bad. They were really bad. Is this just what we – from a roster standpoint, I do think it's a little bit of COVID catching up defensively. You mean opt-outs? The, yes. Opt-outs, not not Cam Newton's God, COVID. If you were opt-outs. Cam Newton's not playing well at all. I mean, no. he looks he's just not seeing the field. Everything's just Correct. slow and poor. But and, and to clarify, I don't believe that's COVID. I don't either. think it's no, it's not COVID for Cam. But I 
offensively, I think, you know, the same team that lacked playmakers last year, lacks playmakers this year, and when they're getting open, Cam Newton's not finding them or he's throwing a pick right to Fred Warner. I mean, it's it's just ugly offensively. Yeah, Cam Newton's not playing well. Um, it does coincide with him catching COVID, being asymptomatic, missing practice time. On the other hand, he was also bad the week before he caught COVID. But he was, all, yeah, he was bad in the Raiders game. Here's the thing, right? Here's the bottom line. They changed their offense to be a run-first offense that when you put up 200 yards on the ground, you know, sometimes good things happen. But even in the Raiders game back in week three, they ran the ball like crazy. Cam played a horrible game. and It's just playing with fire when you're just a run-first attack like the Ravens were last year. Even they've regressed in the run game. So when that, when the efficiency disappears just a little bit, or, or you could be really efficient on the ground and it just if you can't throw the ball at all, it just doesn't lead to points ultimately yeah that's this, the problem this season cam newton has now played in four games three of them came before the covid diagnosis in the three games before the covid diagnosis there was the he was okay against miami in that run heavy system like reasonable um surprising in terms of like hey they debuted this run heavy offense and cam newton's really good on the ground then he was really good against seattle like they went toe-to-toe with the seahawks in seattle and he looked phenomenal the best we've seen from cam newton for years and we were like wow the patriots robbed the league they got cam newton for a song this is absurd it's nuts mvp blah blah, blah right the next week against the raiders he was bad yeah. he was the second worst graded player on that offense only larry Izzo, and they still scored over 30 points they had a strip sack in the end zone but they but he was bad throwing the ball um ryan Izzo, larry is ryan yeah, yeah yeah um ryan Izzo was graded worse that and uh so he was and then he caught the COVID and missed the games and now he's back and he's playing back to that sort of not great not terrible cam newton again but this is who he's been for honestly the majority of his career and certainly the last few seasons since that mvp year this has kind of been cam newton this frustrating inconsistency and a guy that isn't particularly accurate and now he's he's in Again, the similar situation as Carolina in terms of they just haven't got playmakers to help him. He only seems like he's comfortable making those outside lane throws, those deep curls, comebacks. And again, even though he missed one by a mile yesterday, um, everything else is a massive question mark. Uh, Niners, I want to give them credit too, obviously. It's not just about the Patriots, but they, you know, when you have Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk on the field together, yeah, that offense starts to round into form. As much as you've, you know, like to make the tin cup analogy and all that stuff, when you've got those, like Ayuk just moves differently, man. As a, as he's an got athlete. that, yeah, he's got that thing where a super athlete looks springy. Yeah. Like every every not even just like not even when he jumps, like every step he makes looks abnormally springy compared with like regular humans. Yeah, it's awesome. And then you get Debo. I mean, the the way they can use those guys. Debo took a carry as a running back, as we mentioned earlier. They are. You know, I thought they would regress a little bit this year, and they have, but part of it was injury. You get all those guys back on the field, and... So, during the week, we had this um, sort of little snippet from, I think, the forecast, where Eric was saying that Kyle Shanahan is the equal of Bill Belichick in terms of coaching, prowess, Rembrandt ability, you know, chess master. Is A, is he? And B, did he just surpass him? So I will say, here's the thing about coaches, right? There's a lot. Here's the context, I would say. 
as much as we we like to look at quarterbacks and say we can't judge their stats, there's other things at play. Ultimately, a head coach, you pretty much want to judge them on wins and losses, right? The one caveat I'll say to that, though, is if you are attached to an elite quarterback, how much is that elevated? Um, I thought Tom Curran, uh, Patriots beat writer, did a really good job because everybody wants to define the Brady-Belichick era, mm. right? And he did a nice job saying the first 10 years of the dynasty, you have to give Belichick the credit, right? The defense was great. He kind of made – he developed Brady, right? But the second half was Brady's team because the defense had – they were good too at times, but like Brady was carrying that team for the most part. And, I th and you know, fourth quarter comebacks in the Super Bowls, like that was the difference. So six Super Bowls I think is more Brady's performance than Belichick's overall. But over the course of time, I think Belichick kind of made him and then having Brady gives you this baseline of success every single year. Belichick's kind of like lost that baseline of success. From a coaching standpoint, are we talking about his entire body of work, Belichick, or are we just talking about the last couple of years? Because I think a lot of what Eric is saying is based off of fourth down decisions and aggressiveness and using motion and a lot of like the tangible counting things that you can see. And from that standpoint, Shanahan's done a good job and probably surpassed well, Belichick from a think of it in, from that standpoint. Think of it in tin cup terms, right? If I gave you a bag of gardening tools, which guy would shoot the lower round in golf? I, I, I think it's close because Belichick stitched things together defensively. And Shanahan's been able to elevate offenses. Yes. It's pretty close. And Shanahan just eviscerated Bill Belichick's defense. Yeah, but you're going to judge them off of... That's what I'm asking you to do, yes. One game? Uh-huh. Oh, and then Shanahan's the best okay, coach. Okay, perfect. Shanahan's got him. There you go. No nuance. Shanahan's the best coach in the NFL. No, Eric's been going down that road the last couple of years, saying Andy Reid was better than Belichick and all that stuff. But now Reid's got the same thing. What made Reid a better coach? Better players. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes, like he went from... Really good coach who elevated Alex Smith in an offense to Super Bowl coach because Patrick Mahomes showed up. Now, it works both ways. But again, it's not like 100%, 0%, right? It's just like you you can't take away Brady's greatness or Montana's greatness just because they happen to be with Belichick and with um, Bill Walsh. Well, that's what I think makes both these guys so impressive from a resume standpoint is that they both have this track record of getting more than you should get out of specific pieces. So Shanahan with the Tin Cup stuff, like he's, I mean, his quarterbacks outside of Matt Ryan, like Matt Ryan is the best quarterback Shanahan has ever dealt with. And Matt Ryan became an MVP off the back of that. Yeah. I mean, look, it, you could also look at Belichick's resume in his entire coaching career and say in when he doesn't have Brady, including the first year with the Patriots, including the Browns years, like he's, that's not a Hall of Fame coach. No, but, but you also, can't also eliminate the twenty years that Brady's there. Yeah, yeah, but but as a defensive coach, he's also had really good defenses for regardless. Like he had those Browns teams were good. They were, and they, you know they got back, you know, they got them to the playoffs and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, Belichick's a better overall coach historically. Are you talking about like right now? Who would you rather? I mean, I don't know. Shanahan's in the conversation. I'm just it, you know, for a guy. This was to me a really fascinating game heading into it, right? Because you have this grandmaster. Um, on the defensive side of the ball and this grandmaster on the offensive side of the ball. And only one of those guys really showed up. Like, the, oh, I agree. Shanahan did his stuff, and that was that wrecked the Belichick defense, which yeah. just got annihilated. It Romo did a good job explaining the, yeah, the edges and, you know, just all the motion and everything that the Niners did was... Right, and, and Belichick, it's not like he didn't come with a good game plan. He came with that sort of thing that, the, that he did to the Rams in the Super Bowl with the 
the six-man line, the yeah. wide stuff to try and shut that down, like the same thing, and Shanahan just had the adjustments. He had answers for it. Right. Right. All right, so New England's two and four. Also, by the way, they're in trouble. Jared Stidham comes into the game is disastrous. The yeah. How close was this team to rolling into the season being like, we're good, Jared Stidham's the quarterback, it's going to be fine. So that's the thing. Like being like zero and six at this point. So legitimately, here's the I think Belichick, though, GM has failed more than Belichick the coach. People got so mad at that point when somebody made it a while ago. Belichick the GM historically is good. I'm just saying historically is good. I'm talking about the team right now over the last two years, not good. Historically, Belichick the GM, as far as getting mid-level players to play well, all that stuff, been really good. The last couple years, though, this is... We came in, we said this isn't a good roster. If they have Brady back or not, it's not a good roster. And they put Cam in there instead. Yeah. Or Stidham. I mean, and Cam, that, what was that going to do? Cam, for like two weeks, hid the fact that this is not a good team. With the run game. Yeah. Well, with the run game and then playing really well. And played well with... Yeah, so those well two weeks, one of which was against Miami, they looked like, yeah. hey, you know, the, the reports of the Patriots' demise are greatly exaggerated. Turns out they weren't. They were actually pretty accurate. They were. Everything you thought had happened to the Patriots in the offseason had, in fact, happened to them. And with a... a with Cam not playing well or with Jared Stidham, God forbid, they're bad. All that said, they're only one game away from what I thought they would be at this point. I thought they'd beat Denver, okay. lose yeah. lose to San Francisco, be 3-3, three and three, lose to all the good teams. Right. Um, I didn't think it would be this bad, though, is the problem. Yeah. Scoring six points at home is, is not good. A few more games to get through here. Kansas City Chiefs at the Denver Broncos, almost a replay of last year's snow game, Chiefs and Broncos. Um, bottom line here. Uh, Drew Locke doesn't play well in the snow. Pick six, back foot, bad. Um, Chiefs scoring kick returns for touchdowns and all pick sixes phases. and all that stuff. That's just unfair. They're, they're going to be compared to the Patriots this entire time, right? And when you have a game like this where Patrick Mahomes drops back 23 times and you actually don't need him a ton, that is, that is dynasty type of stuff. The ability to yeah. just win in all phases and actually not have a few games where Mahomes is awesome, but he doesn't have to be the guy in every single game. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been talking before about how they're so dangerous on offense because even when Mahomes isn't great, the scheme gets him a passer rating of 115 and, you know, everything else works great. It turns out you can actually extend that a little bit and say, like, even when the offense isn't amazing, they can score on kick returns and their defense is good enough to cause problems for quarterbacks like Drew Locke and they can still win by, like, 30 points. So, yeah, look, the Chiefs are... I mean, they're the Super Bowl favorites for a reason. They have the best quarterback in the game over the time he's been in the, the league, essentially. Um, and they're, they've, they're good everywhere else. Like, the defense has gone from being a major problem to being good enough to cause issues for, oppose, uh, for uh, opposing teams. And they've got, like, all those playmakers also work in the return game. And yeah. every now and again, they can break a kick return for 100 yards. So Mahomes still playing like a top ten quarterback. The offensive line was creaking though. Yeah, with the injuries. That I'm most interested in the fact that the you the Chiefs have kind of looked different every single week. You have a Ravens game where Mahomes was lights out and it was all all him. You have a Patriots game where Mahomes was terrible and the defense just shut down the Pats. But with Brian Hoyer, you have a Raiders game where Mahomes looked like. Texas Tech Mahomes defense couldn't stop anybody with the Raiders 
uh, you have a game like this where it's the snow and you know that's a factor that helps the defense but you win in all three phases the Chiefs really look different every single week this is actually similar to last year it wasn't clean it wasn't clean across the board all last year plus Mahomes injured in the middle of it but by the end you have all the necessary pieces to win the Super Bowl I mean that's what they are like you have the necessary pieces and one week, is it going to be Mahomes dropping back 50 times? Is it going to be the D? Is it going to be the special teams? What is it? They're in a great spot because they don't have the problem that a team like Baltimore has, which is there is a very obvious and clear way to attack them and a situation in which they do not succeed well. That's a good point. The Ravens, when everything's going well, are really, really good and very tough to beat. The, their issue is, okay, what happens when this happens? right? The Chiefs don't have the this. Well, what happens when this happens? Oh, it turns out we have an answer for that. What happens when you face a blitz-happy defense? Well, we still gash it this way. What happens when you face a team that's going to invite you to run all day? Turns out we can run the ball pretty well, so that's not a problem either. Like, they have an answer for everything so far. The only thing they haven't had an answer for this season has been the Raiders, and that was, it was, it felt like that was a weird game more than it was necessarily, you know, any kind of blueprint. Bottom line is, when Le'Veon Bell plays football for the Chiefs, oh, they average 43 points per game. They weren't doing that before he got there. Let's go Jaguars-Chargers here, 39-29. Chargers looked like they might run away with it. Jags crept back into it, blocked punts. But man, Herbert, just when it looked like Herbert's going to just regress a little bit. And he was, he was off at the beginning of the game. He missed a ton of throws by a mile. Still flipping the field with that arm, Sam. He's still making big-time throws. Chunk plays left and right every single week from Justin Herbert. <laughs> Why are people asking me for an apology letter for him, too? First off, don't they know, aren't, don't they know I don't sign no, apologies? The six Chargers fans really want us to apologize about Herbert. Oh, man. You got him. Got uh, him. There's only six arm, of you. I, his arm looks great every week. It's a, I don't know why. Like, his... The ball comes out of his hand differently to the way it comes out of almost any other quarterback's hands. Like, his arm looks... Very really, live. Even compared with, like, other big-armed quarterbacks, his arm looks weirdly good. Um, I mean, we knew he had arm talent. I'm not sure I knew he had that kind of arm talent. I think... Um, here's where I'm going to be cautious with all of this stuff. The fact that he's, you know, he has another game with the huge plays, a 70-yard touchdown. All of his big plays... So you can have a big-time throw that's like a 20-yard dig route over the linebacker, you know, in front of the safety, boom, perfect, plus one PFF throw. Or you could drop it in a bucket, plus one throw. But there's a difference between the – there's not a huge difference in the throw between a 20-yarder and then the 70-yarder. It's just like where on the field it kind of happened. All of his big-time throws end up for 50-plus yards, it seems. So uh, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just trying to say his best throws coming from, like, the 30-yard line versus the opposing 30 – might inflate the stats a little bit, rely on the receivers. I don't want to take anything away from him because the big-time throws are there, but he also left a lot of plays on the table, missed a lot early. Yeah, he's almost like the opposite of Joe Burrow at the moment. Like, people are criticizing Joe Burrow because of the lack of big plays in his it, game. It's true. And That's his, the opposite. Right. Yeah. And he, he, but down-to-down -down efficiency has actually been really good, particularly right. when you consider what he's dealing with on the offensive line. Now, that thing is true with, Herb, or with Herbert as well. His right. offensive line is garbage. His down-to-down -down efficiency has not been great, but it's all the big throws. Like, his big throws have been insane, and they've all been coming good, and they've also all been in crazy critical situations. Like, I think he's still the number one graded quarterback in the NFL on third down. He's 
Right. So I mean, this is this is this is 27 Carson Wentz or 2017 yeah. Carson Wentz again. It's all of the absurdly in, unsustainable things that makes you. It, it's it's such a weird thing because. It is descriptive in terms of that is MVP level play for Wentz in 2017. And it is rookie of the year caliber play for Justin Herbert. Right. On the other hand, it's also inevitably going to come back down to earth to some degree. The caveat here is so he's top three in big time throw percentage with Russell Wilson and Brady. Those those numbers absolutely tend to come down no matter how talented your arm is. Talented arm, credit for all of it. That does come back down to earth. That is actually, again, the same, very similar profile to what Baker had as a rookie. Number two in big-time throw percentage behind Wilson. Um, the fact that Wilson's up there every year. I mean, there's some sustainability to it, um, but there's other parts of Wilson ga Wilson's game that make him special. Those parts are still lacking with Herbert right now. All that said, Chargers offense is explosive still, since he took over. Still the number one graded quarterback on third downs with seven big time throws and zero turnover worthy plays. Like it's just it's I almost hate it about our job numbers. because you're it is the most it is the un, the most unstable down. Yeah. But it's the one where you're just like, money down, that's when you get to make the play. So credit for doing it, but it's really tough to expect it to continue. Let's get to Sunday night football now. Seahawks and Cardinals. Just a ridiculous game. Crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, anytime you're in the fourth quarter, it, um, Kev Clark, by the way, um, got to confirm with him. He's supposed to be on the podcast this week. Okay. The VR Thursday guy. Yeah. Um, he had that tweet from a couple years ago. I think it was him, right? The Seahawks never, yeah. literally never play mm -hmm. a normal game. Maybe we'll talk to him about that. Um, boy, was he right. It, they just, they don't know how to blow teams out, it seems. <laughs> they just feel uncomfortable. Um, but every time you're in the fourth quarter, you're just like, well, Russ is going to, Russ is going to bail us out. He had three interceptions. One, maybe a little miscommunication, the one he chucked in the end zone. But wow, the other ones, the floater to the flat that Buda Baker picks. Yeah, that was bad. DK tracks him down. And then, uh, man, the, break, the, the, the last interception in overtime by Isaiah Simmons. Arizona's up at the line of scrimmage, acting like they're going to zero blitz, bring the house, and they dropped everybody out. And Russ, you know, he loves that. He loves a good zero blitz. He throws a moon ball on that all the time. Moon balls. Moon balls it right to Isaiah Simmons. Mm. That is kind of typical of Isaiah Simmons this year. And that basically the only thing he's capable of doing at the moment is being the gimmick guy in an off or on a defense that you drew up on the sideline. No, he's turning a corner back to back good games against Dallas and now this, the, uh, the Seahawks. He barely played against Dallas. He just didn't do anything bad. There was just so much. We could do a whole show on this entire game. Yeah. But you've got four big time throws for Wilson. And then, like, it, it, this was, it was such a weird game. It was almost like the perfect Wilson game, except for, like, the two hideous throws. Plus three picks. Yeah. One of which may not have been completely on him, but two of which were better. terrible. Two of which were absolutely terrible. Um, so much here. I mean, the Cardinals were down 10. Then there's the, um, what's the penalty? The, uh, I can't remember the name of it now. But on the field goal, there was the assistance penalty. What the heck's the name? I Leverage. Can't. Leverage penalty. Completely changes the game. The Cardinals decide to go for a touchdown. They get it. So they're down 10, kick a field goal. They were going to be down seven. Instead, get another opportunity, get the, get the touchdown, which is the right move. And then the drive to go get the game-tying field goal, the Larry Fitzgerald show, <laughs> catches a slant. Nobody in the history of football has been better at getting the ball to the ref on a two-minute situation than Larry Fitzgerald. Masterful. To he the catches point where... the slant, 
There was he's another... laying on his back. He throws it up, right. hits the center in stride to get the ball back to the ref to set it. And then was it Hopkins' catch where he goes and grabs the ball off him yeah. to give it, to run it to the center and hand it to him? I mean, Fitz is old. He's not fast, but he was hauling Beautiful. around the two-minute drill. The two other guys that made catches, was it him and Edmonds maybe? Yeah. He runs, grabs the ball from them to get the ball to the ref yeah. to set it. This is like his thing. This is his shtick. I'd have fits on my team just to be just the, for that just for that i mean it probably saved 15 seconds and saved the game yeah i mean it, it's it's a legitimate thing that matters when you're dealing with uh, dying seconds of a game where you got to put points on the board and kudos to fits for for doing it multiple times ben give give fits fitzgerald uh give him all of the positive grades for those plays and then you had dk metcalf with his benjamin watson moment that was crazy. Chasing down the pick six. Buddha looked so helpless. I mean, Buddha was I mean, going was. pretty fast, too. He's just like, uh-oh. Look at this guy coming after me. That guy. The most amazing thing about that was, like, the instant it happened where DK is running, like, a, you know, nothing drag across the field jogging, sees it happen, and immediately, like, adjusts 45 degrees to the right, not for the angle to, like, intercept, but for the angle that was going to take him to where Baker was going to be by the time he hit the five-yard line. Like, it was just instant calculation of that's where I need to be in 90 yards time. Voomph, heads off in that direction at just breakneck speed and chases him down. It was really incredible. And, um, man, that Arizona ended up not scoring yeah. on that particular that's, drive. I mean, that at the minimum was going to be a, like a four-point swing. Ended up being a seven-point swing, just that play. So that's what's crazy about this game. You have Russ playing a... I don't want to say a perfect game, but a really, really clean game minus two throws, which is yes. significant throws. Right. But he's really tough to stop the entire game, including on the ground, just scrambling for over 60 yards. And then you've got the DK. Like, a lot of things were in the Seahawks' favor. And the resiliency that the Cardinals showed, I was just, man, I was so impressed. The, the fact that their defense was pretty much torched other than – because it goes the other way, right? They're torched other than a Buddha-Baker interception and then the, the Simmons play that they dialed up in overtime. I'm just impressed with how the Cardinals bounce back. That was – that was crazy, but I think ultimately the, the Cardinals are right in this thing, five and two, mm -hmm. and the Seahawks' defense is probably going to be an issue this season. The yeah, the majority generally. of the season. We out of time. Yeah, I want to do a whole show on that. We're out of games too, right? Though on that game, we we're out more. of games. That's all right then. Um, Russ still the MVP. This is very important. Still the MVP. I mean, this he was, you know, the. Those picks were enough to like drag him back to a normal human game. Oh, overall, MVP discussion. But Tom Brady has entered the discussion. That's the thing. There'll be talk this week. Everybody overreact. It's very important. Anyway, incredible week seven. Still Monday night football to go. Go check out our preview episode if you want a little Rams and Bears preview. We'll be back on Thursday. Kev Clark will be our guest and we'll be previewing all of the week eight action. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you Thursday.